And the name of uh, the... <coughs> okay, welcome back. Um, professor just has a few words on um, a concept he was trying to remember for the morning lecture, and then we'll move on to marginal productivity of labor. Thank so, you, professor. Sandy. I uh, should have said that in my first lecture, but as you know, I was under pressure, time pressure, so I didn't. But the, my creation of the word logosphere is not really original, and I did know that the concept existed. Exactly the same, but I spent a whole day looking for diction in the dictionaries and encyclopedias trying to find that word which escaped me and uh, and then I gave up I mean uh, you know it, you can only spend so much time on, on this type of thing and also the fellow who introduced it first I wasn't the one but since I didn't remember the name, I just invented the word logosphere, knowing that somebody had used the same concept under a different name already. So I am very glad that we had one person here, and that's Rudy, who came to me and uh, told me about this word. So I asked Rudy to come and say a few words about this. This is a very interesting story. Well, it's uh, the word noosphere. Vladimir Varansky is the guy who wrote about this. And he did something quite similar to what the professor is talking about. He divided the world, in effect, into three uh, levels. One is inanimate stuff, non-living stuff. Uh, which is subject to causality, and then biosphere, which is living stuff, which is slightly different and it influences the uh, lower level. And I actually I forget the word we used for the first time, so you, can, so you guys can look it up. And then the noosphere is the, the sphere that only humans, human intellect and human, uh, you know, frontal lobe uh, gets involved with, and teleology because people have purpose and the ability to think and, and change stuff. And when the professor was talking about this, I, you know, I recall this right away. I just went online and dug out the word and the, the name of the man who, uh, who you know, first wrote about this concept. What is his name again? Ver Vladimir Vernansky. V-E-R-N-B-S-K-Y. The 20th century Russian philosopher. I dates. I just grabbed this and ran with it. Yeah. Thank you, Rudy. To explain the umlaut, the two dots on the top of the second O, is because if you didn't put it on, you, a lot of English-speaking persons would pronounce it noosphere. But it's not noosphere, it's noosphere. You see? So that's for the pronunciation. Uh, but uh, th th this word you will find in the dictionary in a good 
dictionary, not any dictionary. <laughs> and in the encyclopedia, a good encyclopedia, you will find it, and it's worth uh, looking up that word, no sphere, because everything what I've said about the logosphere. It seems to be okay now. Yeah? Yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll do it next time.
All right? Okay. <clears throat> now, I find it very curious that none of Mises' major treatises, and there are several, there's the human action, there's the theory of money and credit, there's socialism, and, and several others, uh, actually introduce the concept of marginal uh, productivity of labor. But there is a somewhat obscure minor uh, publication with the title Anti or Anti-Capitalistic Mentality. Could you put it mm -hmm. And I have a copy of that here. It was written in 1956. And the uh, copy I have in my hands is the second edition, 1972. And there might be more later editions as well. And this is a hodgepodge of topics loosely related. And that would be the last book I wanted to consult if I wanted to find out what Mises had to say on the concept of marginal productivity of labor. But he does. And it's on page 86 in the second edition where he does it. Page 86, did you say? 1972 is the date for the second edition. And originally it was published in 1956. Now, I'm looking up the table of contents and that tells me that 86 falls in a chapter called the non-economic objections to capitalism and it's section 3 entitled injustice now <laughs> if you didn't know how on earth would you be led to learn about marginal utility of labor by looking at non-economic objections to capitalism under the subtitle Injustice. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I think this is an important enough subject, along with another very important subject, which is the marginal productivity of capital. These two go hand in hand, which should have been incorporated in the major body of Mises' work. But it wasn't. And I don't know why it wasn't. In my opinion, it absolutely should have been, because the contact point between the logosphere and the protosphere is, this is just another, or rather two very important contact points, as I'm trying to make a case for that in this particular lecture. So I don't know the answer to that. I have my own guesses, but it's not a proof. And another thing is that although Mises 
as you will see on page 86, does have a paragraph on the marginal productivity of labor, but he has only half a sentence on the marginal productivity of capital, which is uh, very strange to me because once, I mean, the two go hand in hand. Labor by itself will not be productive unless you give labor tools. On the other hand, tools in themselves will not do anything, will not be productive unless you put them in the hands of the laborer. So you need both in order to be productive. So if you explain one, you should also explain the other. Now, I have searched uh, Mises' work as much as I could, and I did not find any other reference to these two concepts but this book. And I may have missed, missed it, it may be there, so please do not take this as a final. My search was thorough enough, but you know, he, he, as this example shows, I mean, how would you expect this, this topic to come up in, in here, when it should really belong to the major work. So I don't know. I, I just leave this and with the comment that feel free that this is still an open question. If you want to do your own search, uh, let me know if you find any other reference to the marginal productivity of labor and the marginal productivity of capital in Mises' work because I failed to find any other reference. Uh, all right, now, what Mises says is very interesting. He says that the concept of productivity of labor is nonsensical. It doesn't make sense. And I agree with him, and I already explained why because <coughs> labor in itself is not productive, period. You need a tool to put in the hand, or something more elaborate than a tool. It could be a machine, uh, or it could be a, a whole factory which you uh, put to that purpose. Only when you bring the two together. And then he goes on to say that uh, productivity of labor refers to an undefined and undefinable quantity. We have to talk about the marginal productivity of labor in order to have a definite economic quantity or its equivalent in money. And what is this marginal uh, productivity? He says, and I quote, it's on page 86, the deduction in net output to be caused by the elimination of one worker. So you imagine that there is a factory and it produces, and it's profitable, etc. 
and then you eliminate one worker for whatever reason. He may be too lazy, or he may be sick, or he may be uh, uh, may not be able to acquire some new uh, uh, know-how which is necessary. Whatever reason you dismiss one person, one laborer, then there will be a reduction in output. And that you can measure. And that is what you call the marginal productivity of <coughs> labor. Now, I criticize this definition for the following reason. It's not clear which worker you are going to dismiss. Because if you dismiss the chief engineer of the plant, then there will be a big drop. And if you dismiss the, uh, uh, what's the word for the, the uns unskilled? And uns manual laborers. Manual labor, manual labor, then there will be a tiny decrease. So you will have to form, uh, formalize this to the extent that it will be unambiguous. That's one criticism. The other criticism is that Mises puts it in the negative sense. He dismisses one laborer. Well, why not add one laborer? And then you have a positive definition. So in, in view of this criticism, I'm suggesting a new definition, and this is the following. Marginal productivity of labor is the addition to net output to be caused by the hiring of the and I'm specific, not just one, but I say the marginal worker, which I have to define, of course, whom I mean by marginal worker. Mises doesn't say that. He just says, fire one worker. There will be a deduction from that output, and that's it. But as I say, we have to be more specific than that, so I say, we hire one worker. Not just any worker, but we hire the marginal worker. Now, who is the marginal worker? Here it is. Uh, by the way, you find it on the handout. Uh, the marginal worker is the one whose contribution, why lower than those, than the output of those already hired, but it must be higher than all the others seeking employment. And all the others who are seeking employment I call sub-marginal workers. So, in other words, I introduce a ranking. 
All the unemployed workers are ranked according to their productivity, their individual productivity. And the marginal worker is the top, at the top of the line. He is going to be the first one to get hired if the operation is expanded. And his productivity is what I call the marginal productivity of, of labor. Okay? So we rank all the workers according to their individual productivity, and there's a cutoff line between those who are employed and those who are not employed. And that cutoff line is uh, personified by the marginal worker. He is the top productive guy among the sub-marginal. So he will be the next one to get hired. Now, I believe that Mises would engage me in a discussion if he was here. Because he, uh, and, and you can read more on this in the anti-capitalist mentality on the same page or the next page or the previous page. Uh, because the, he, he says something. Could you draw a pair of scissors? That's mm -hmm. <laughs> a pair of scissors. Okay. And, and next to it, uh, draw a, a hand. Uh, okay. Just the hand. Like well, something okay. like that. Okay, now, yeah, thank you. <laughs> this is what Mises says in here. Very convincing, very, very convincing. He says that if you want, to, you use the scissor to make a cut, cut a piece of paper. So that's a job you do. And you want to assign a quota to the productivity of one blade of the scissor or the other then you, you won't be able to do that. Because without the two working together, the cut won't be made. So Mises says, it doesn't make sense to ask for the productivity of one blade of the scissor. But then he goes on and says, <coughs> well, even if you keep the scissor, the two blades together, and use the hand, that's the labor, so there is the capital, is the pair of scissors, and there's the labor, the hand. And the cut is done, and you want to assign a quota of productivity to this pair of scissors, and also a quota of productivity to the hand which does the cutting. Well, again, it, it doesn't make sense, does it? Because without one without the other won't do the cutting. There won't be any productivity. So you've, you've got to bring the two together in order to uh, be productive. And, and I agree. But then Mises would continue that your idea of ranking labor by assigning productivity to every one of them is nonsensical, Mises would say, 
because because of well this example shows that you need two things tool and labor to be productive and i don't agree because that's common experience isn't it that the unskilled uh, laborer and the skilled laborer could be a machine operator could be a lathe operator or take any skilled labor obviously uh, has different productivity and you can actually measure this just employ them and see how much the enterprise is going to profit from the employment of this so I would argue that every individual worker has his or her own productivity. That's a fact of life. You may not like it if you happen to be somewhere low on the scale, but that's a fact of life that a heart surgeon is more productive in every way from the social point of view than the butcher. They both do the same thing. They take a knife and cut, right? But still the heart surgeon is doing a more productive job, especially if you're a heart patient that you'll appreciate that. Well, not all, but anyhow, you, you got the point. <coughs> So Mises would come back, wait a minute, you might be right there, but since you need both labor and capital, and even if I grant you that capital can be ranked the same way from the point of view of productivity, you have got to bring in both in order to be productive. Well, I said, I never disputed that, but the fact is that you can change a labor without changing anything in the capital structure of the enterprise, or vice versa. You can change the tools without changing a single worker. And we are talking about the change in productivity of that worker, assuming that there's no change in the tools or vice versa. We can change the tools or some of the tools without changing a single employee. And we are talking about the increase or decrease in, in uh, uh, net output when such a change of one factor is made without making any change. I agree completely with Mises that if you make simultaneous changes in both labor and capital, then his argument is valid. There's no way to attribute quota. But assuming that you keep one constant and make changes in the other, then obviously you can rank labor and you can rank capital and how, how we've got half an hour okay so you see this is 
this is my point, that there is a ranking of sub-marginal labor, and the top guy in that rank, uh, ranking is the marginal. So there's a definite person, and he has a definite productivity, and that is what we call the marginal productivity of capital. Now, there is still room for further improvement for the following reason. In the discussion so far, we always assume that there is hiring or firing. Hiring or firing. In order to be able to say what the marginal productivity of labor is. But uh, let's assume that for a long time there's neither hiring nor firing. There's still a marginal productivity of labor involved. How to find it? Well, the answer is this. The uh, uh, concept of marginal laborer, marginal worker, is not a person, it's a role or a caste. You, just like when you produce a play or a movie, there's a caste which tells you that the protagonist number one is this person, protagonist number two is, there will be a prima donna, there will be a Bon vivant, there will be others, uh, and that's what we call the caste, okay? So we should not confuse the actual person, the actor who plays the role, 